Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is God's word. We're going to take a break this week from Joshua and Generation Next because it just really sensed this week the Lord's leading to follow up on what was a remarkable 12 hours last weekend. Uh, One of the themes we've been looking at in the book of Joshua is God's people being inconvenienced with obedience. And while obedience, even as you walk with the Lord for a while, obedience remains strange and sometimes still inconvenient. As we trust and obey God, that inconvenient obedience turns to joy. As you continue to trust and obey, trust and obey, it turns to joy. And what a blessing that was to witness just that last weekend. Inconvenient obedience turned into joy. Over 60 persons my last count, that's half the adults in our church inconvenienced themselves by coming out to pray at 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., it goes on, to labor in prayer, to sign up for an hour, say, I want to pray with other people in the church and seek God on behalf of it, and on behalf of this island, and on behalf of the nations. Pleading with God, at least a half a dozen people from this testimony I heard, praying out loud for the first time in their lives, taking that step. Every person I spoke with, every person I spoke with, this is really remarkable, said the same thing, that the hour for which they signed up to labor in prayer, labor always sounds pretty hard, right? Went by like it was 10 minutes. They said, I looked at my watch, and the hour had gone. Joy. And we're starting to see the fruit of our prayers already, seeing answers to prayer already come to fruition. And while we certainly will, we certainly are going to do this again, you know, we won't have a church-wide prayer vigil every night or even every Saturday night, that doesn't mean we should stop seeking our Father in prayer. We can maintain and continue, even increase our momentum of prayer during our work weeks during our daily lives. How? Well, that's what we're going to focus on this morning. I'm going to give you some practicals of personal prayer. And that's what's really what Jesus is doing here. Jesus, I love this passage. Jesus is so wise. He's so wise. He knows people so well. He's about to give them a pattern of how to pray, a.k.a. the Lord's Prayer, a.k.a. the Our Father, depending on what tradition you're from. But before he gets into that famous prayer that many of you may know, whether you know Jesus or not, he says, hey, let me offer you guys a couple of wise tips, a couple of wise ideas of how to pray in a real nitty-gritty, 
daily life with people all around you? How do you keep prayer going in those moments? Let me show you how. So this morning, I'm going to offer three practicals you should strap on each day to help you connect with God and connect with Him for more than two minutes, more than a couple minutes, to last for a little bit longer. So first, practical prayer prep. Then we're going to talk about getting together a practical prayer arsenal. All right, that sounds violent. It is. We're taking down strongholds, baby. All right, and then three, using practical prayer triggers. All right, so first, we're going to start with practical prayer prep. Now, I think we can agree that each of us here, if you want to connect with God at all, you want your prayers to work. Right? You want for God to hear it and then watch it make a difference. But I think we treat prayer sometimes as if it's exempt from the deliberate way we approach the rest of our lives. In short, I think we believe prayer requires sometimes less deliberate attention. Let me explain what I mean here by way of your calendars and your jobs. All right, first of all, your calendars. Paul Miller He's an older prayer warrior kind of guy who leads prayer seminars throughout the United States internationally. Um, During part of his seminars, he asks for a show of hands for how many people maintain their calendars or keep their calendars electronically. In fact, let's do that right now. How many of you out there keep your calendars electronically? Raise your hands. Keep them raised. Okay, if you don't electronically, how many of you keep them on a, a wall calendar, paper calendar? Keep it, everyone keep it raised. Okay, so most of you guys, well, it's interesting. So we asked this question, and 95% of the people, like this morning, probably raised their hands. It's an awkward moment for the only other 5%, only because of those 5%, it's mostly men who admit they use their wives as their calendars. <laughs> sort of confess that, and it's a moment in their marriage for reconciliation. And... But then he asks, how many of you have a similarly organized system for prayer? A similarly organized schedule for daily prayer? And then, of course, he asks why 95% of those same people don't organize time with God. And when he asks that, someone usually answers, well, you know, if you forget an appointment... If you, if you forget an appointment, you usually pay for it, right? What does that imply? It implies that if you forget an appointment to talk with God, you don't pay for it, right? No one notices, they say. His other favorite response, he says that our calendar, well, our calendar involves people, so we write it down as if prayer doesn't involve people, right? It's like that's the whole thing about prayer. It's like people down here and the persons up there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I want to just give you a snippet of my, uh, my Outlook calendar. All right, from this, this is from this last week. But you've got a few things up there. We, got, um, we have an elder business meeting. I was at the Strickland's this last week. I have a, uh, there was lunch with J.P. Wellman at Black Trumpet. Wonderful time. And uh, you might even see a haircut appointment at Rock Gorgeous Hair. All right, because you've got you to work pretty hard to keep this looking gorgeous. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But while I'm intentional often about organizing this, right, of planning it for every other part of my life, not always so for my communion with God, with our Father. Verse 6, look at that with me if you would. 
Jesus says very simply, but when you pray, Jesus clearly advocates not for some theoretical block of time, but for an actual time. Jesus is assuming, hey, when you pray, there's going to be a time. It's pretty cool here. Unlike in verse 5 and verse 7, where the you is plural, here in verse 6 it's singular. Here's what I mean by that. Verse 5 and verse 7, Jesus is saying to his entire disciples and all these people gathered on this mountain, you all, I want to say this, I want to teach you all. Most of the Sermon on the Mount is like that. You all, you all, the plural. But in this little moment here in verse 6, it's as if he's looking people in the eye and he's saying, you, you, you. Why? He wants to emphasize that our Heavenly Father wants time individually with each of you. Cool little, little detail there that you get there in the Greek. Choose a time and guard it jealously. That's what I'm trying to encourage you with, friends. Choose a time, guard it jealously. And you might object, well, that's, you know, guarding it jealously, making it at the same time. It seems so legalistic. Let me make something clear. Legalism is not, is not implementing a discipline in your life. Legalism would be trust in Jesus plus thinking that doing some discipline will earn you extra favor with God. That's legalism. Doing anything for Jesus besides trusting in him, thinking that it's going to earn you points with God, that he's going to be extra pleased with you. He's going to give you extra favor in your life. That's legalism. Implementing a discipline to help you commune with your heavenly father, that's not legalism, friends. That's just being human. Understanding we have weaknesses. Understanding that we're going to be prone to not spend time with them. Time is important. We'll cut corners. right? We'll tell white lies. We will cancel important meetings to guard and protect certain things and certain people we see, right? We will clear our calendar in some cases, but we won't go to similar lengths sometimes to guard time with our creator, except for the white lies part. I want to encourage that, right? I want to encourage you, get to bed early for it. Get awake for it. Get realistic for it. So so go to bed, because that will help you wake up and be alert to talk to your Heavenly Father. Uh, You know, get awake for it. Make a pot of coffee to wake up, not for work, but to spend time with Him. Go for a run, a jog, get that adrenaline pumping, not to look better, You can be alert for your time with him. See, it's doing those same things oftentimes, guys, but for him. And then get realistic for it. If you're going to make a time to spend time with him and guard it jealously, if you've got kids, you've got to get up before them. And realize that only so much prayer is going to happen in the car, just to be frank. You know what I'm saying? Like When you get in the car, you're going through those 10 minutes, your mental list for the day, you turn on the radio, you're jamming out to the hits of the 80s, right? And then you, you're hopefully watching for pedestrians as well. So that time is fragmented. It's not focused time with your father. I mean, think about it. You wouldn't tell your spouse, hey, let's spend some one-on-one time together in the car. That's some quality time. You and me on the way to Mike Sesso Station. All right, unless it's a limo, <laughs> you're not saying that to your spouse. If it's a limo, go ahead. That's pretty nice. But you don't want to be saying that to God. Okay, God, you and me, 
seven minutes on the way to work. So choose a time, guard it jealously, but also a place. Look what Jesus also says in verse 6. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus wants us to choose a specific place. And the emphasis here being on total privacy. The word translated room here, tameon in the Greek, refers to this storeroom in a typical house. This is pretty cool. It was a small room in the middle of a house, had no light, no windows, uh, rarely visited except for around supper time, where you could close the door and basically seclude yourself. This is instructive for those of us who cannot handle a beach chair as our regular place of prayer. Now, I know that some of this, some of us are under the illusion that the best place for private prayer is God's creation. And let me say, we have it here. I mean, you have those desktop screensavers 10 steps from your door. Those things that people like dream about as their space is not at work. And like, man, that'd be so cool to be there. We have it. It's right there. Now, while I would love to get out to those spots regularly, I would like to get out to them sometimes to mix it up. Man, I struggle with ADPD, Attention Deficit Prayer Disorder, which is the idea that I cannot just be out anywhere with people all around and, and things going on. Like, you're in public, just like the Pharisees in this passage. In public, you got beads of sweat if you're on the beach dripping on your Bible. You know, is that a shell or a hermit crab? I don't know. What is that? Did I just see a whale? You know, it's... I can't handle that. One of the best, if not the best place I've ever found for regular private prayer was the lowest basement at my university public library. At one of those cubicle desks. You know what I'm talking about? I know that sounds so like dry and cold and it's got those chairs that adjust your spine as you spit sit in them. But... I was one of the best places because there's nothing down in that lowest basement but medieval literature and forensic science. In other words, no distractions. <laughs> no, there are no picture books for me. I'm a simple man. Uh, there are no little things I could be doing otherwise, just me, my father, and his word. It's great. I want to encourage you, find some nook Find a nook in your home where you can both stay awake and you're not distracted. And I want to encourage you, the plainer the better. So you can stay away from checking email, from Facebook and a friend, looking at old photos, rearranging your sock drawer, those sorts of things. Prayer takes preparation. Choose a time and a place and guard them jealously. I want to stop here for a moment before we get to the second thing. What I've just recommended, what I'm going to continue to recommend this morning, it's going to start out feeling awkward. All right, it's going to start out even feeling artificial. It may make you feel sort of uh, self-conscious. And thoughts are going to enter your mind like, man, prayer shouldn't feel so forced, right? I don't want to do it if it's going to feel like this. And herein lies one of the biggest frustrations for prayer. We wish for it to immediately feel natural, to immediately feel second nature. We believe that if that doesn't happen, if, it, if it's not just immediately led by the Spirit, immediately done naturally, it's not authentic and it's not real. 
Yet, few things in our lives start out naturally, right? If you really think about it, few things start out naturally, but they can still be very authentic and very real. Think, take your job, for instance. This morning, prepar- preparing for this morning, I asked a lawyer, an accountant, a teacher, what steps they had to take to get to the point where their job felt natural and relatively comfortable. So a teacher said the first steps they had to take was mentorship, having personal and professional goals, ongoing professional development, and of course the most irreplaceable experience. And without those things, even though they feel awkward at times, it's hard to ever really feel comfortable in what they do. An accountant told me a formal education by way of university degree, a chartered accountant qualification, reading financial and accounting articles, on-the-job experience. Those are the things that help them feel more comfortable and natural what they do. A lawyer, seven years studying law, a year studying for a bar exam, an articling as well, three to five years specializing in one area before they felt comfortable, relatively speaking. Each person had to take deliberate, sometimes awkward steps before they progressed to the point where things felt at least somewhat second nature. In his seminal book, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell asserts what he calls the 10,000-hour rule. He suggests that it takes roughly 10,000 hours to attain relative mastery of a skill. But prayer should feel immediately comfortable. Not at all. One of the best examples of, I think, what we're seeking through prayer, give you one more sort of illustration, is, and then the awkward steps getting there, is playing an instrument. Who here plays an instrument? Then you know, you know the joy, right, of playing and getting to the point where you can play without having to consciously think of each step, where you don't have to think about every movement of your fingers, right? It's this liberating feeling. You can just focus on the music and kind of get lost in it. One of our worship leaders, Lisa Wellman, once shared with me that playing guitar has become more natural for her because her dad started taking her to lessons when she was age five. Now you can imagine, no doubt, a five-year-old arms felt uncomfortable holding a guitar, right? Much less like a ukulele, I'm sure. Five-year-old hands struggle awkwardly to reach even certain chords. That G chord's pretty hard for five-year-old hands. All right, but by the teenage years, playing became for her an unconscious joy. Prayer, friends, can't become this. A natural, almost unconscious joy if we're willing to take some deliberate steps. So that's what we have to get into our minds. All right. Second thing I, I encourage us with, this will go quick, quicker, develop a practical prayer arsenal. At some point, each of us must come out of the closet. The prayer closet, that is, of course. <laughs> Jesus says this in verse, is that too much? Too much? All right, sorry. Jesus says so in verse 6, you've got to come out of the closet, the, the prayer closet, and into 90 mile per hour lives where we are challenged in these lives, to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, to keep on praying. In our passage, Jesus criticizes people of religious traditions who heap up empty phrases, 
thinking that they get extra credit with God. Like the more you talk, the more, oh, now I'll listen. <laughs> You've said this in a different way with more religious words. Our Father simply cares to talk with His kids. So I want to encourage you to develop an arsenal of personal phrases that can practically help us continue communing with God throughout a real day. Even as you input numbers into an expense statement, or Bob from Receivables exaggerates obnoxiously about his debaucherous weekend aboard the Jolly Roger, you're thinking, how can I keep talking to God while this guy talks about this? Develop an arsenal of arrow prayers. If you talk to people who love to pray, they'll tell you they have this. These, these little prayers that shoot up to God during their day. If you've never experienced communing with God throughout the day, it's truly a delight. I want to encourage you not to get bogged down figuring out how you're going to pray for Aunt Susie or worrying that you haven't covered all the needs of your community group or the list of things you promised someone you'd pray for. Instead, start with short, simple phrases, a communion between you and your Heavenly Father who already knows, this passage says, those other needs. So let me give you some examples all right, that you might use. First of all, from Scripture. The prayer of the tax collector from Luke 18. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So if you find yourself during the day, man, I just haven't talked to God for a while. Lord, have mercy on me. Great prayer. Great way to get communion jump-started. Or a prayer of acknowledgement. You are my ever-present help. Uh, someone told me this one last week. They were praying the words of Isaiah to, to show him, to show God that they were available. They said, here I am, Lord, send me. Or the words of the prophet Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, talk to me. Or what about the I am's from John's gospel? I am the way. Of course, you don't want to pray, I am the way. That's heresy. You want to pray, Lord, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. You are the bread of life. You are the resurrection. You are the light of the world. You are the gate. Just simple little prayers we even see in Scripture. What about one-word prayers? Jesus, Abba, Emmanuel, Rock, my Master. Or these are some of my favorites. During the course of a real day, help. I pray this one all the time. Help. Or pursue, as in pursue that person's heart. Provide, work. Just a quick one-word prayer. God hears these kinds of prayers. And if not praying from Scripture, let me give you some ideas of just how to construct your own sort of personal phrase that you can get your heart jump started in communion with God. Uh, this is something from Richard Foster. I'm actually stealing this directly from him in his great book on prayer. He talks about how to just find some uninterrupted time, maybe sometime this week, find some uninterrupted time, a quiet place to sit silent in God's presence. And just allow a few moments to pass by and just let the Father call you by name. Listen to Him. And allow this question to service. What is it that you need? Perhaps it's a one-word answer. It might come like, you need peace. You need faith. You need strength. You need to trust in His love. Maybe you need to make wise decisions. Connect this phrase He talks about with the most comfortable way you have of speaking with God. Maybe it's, Blessed Savior, my rock and my redeemer, Abba, Lord, comforter, counselor. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, 
After writing a few things down, just start to combine these words and pray and tweak it along the way. Find a personal phrase that helps you communi- commune with God when you're stuck. I'll give you mine. The arrow prayer I pray most during the 90, per hour day, 90 mile per hour day is Abba, I love you and I belong to you. That's mine. Abba, I love you and I belong to you. And I want to share with you why. I have a need. I am not a naturally loving person. Like on my own, without Jesus, I'm like just a hard person. And so I, I desperately need to be reminded of my Father's love for me and let Him know that I love Him for Him, not just for what He does for me. And also, I have many things, I have people, many forces pulling at me during a given day. And I need to recall not so much who I am, but whose I am. That makes sense. So I pray, I belong to you. I belong to you. Again, this may feel deliberate and awkward first, but that's how good habits start. And I'm telling you, God will use this. Arrow prayers, a practical prayer arsenal. Third thing, practical prayer triggers. Again, you and I are human beings. If you think your life is going to yield this natural flow of prayer, like one of those feng shui office waterfalls that recycles water, you know, and that's just like, like you're just going to wake up one day and that's going to happen, you're in for a rude awakening. So I'm going to encourage you, you, if that's not your life, use objects, people, and activities to trigger prayer, to start prayer in your life. I want to give you five ideas for this. You're going to be like, Ryan, that's crazy. I'm telling you, try them. They will help. Five ideas, you can know which are the most helpful for you. The most common is a meal. Think about it. A meal is a great trigger. Now, you don't get extra points with God for praying during a meal, nor is it mandatory. If you fail to pray for your lunch, God is not going to transform your chicken salad wrap into satanic stomach acid. All right? He's not going to curse it. I forgot to pray how it works. But what meals do offer is a practical moment, a trigger for prayer. I'll give you another one. When I was at uh, college and then working on my master's, I would pick someone on campus I would use to trigger prayers of thanksgiving. All right, now, was that person unusual looking? Perhaps. All right, I'm just going to confess that to you as my friends here. Um, that's why I picked them to trigger prayer. All right, they stood out in a crowd. And now I sometimes thank God for them. I wasn't cruel. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for that person. I think God blessed them as a result of that. Who would that be for you? Maybe it's someone you don't see all the time. But maybe like occasionally at work. Maybe it's the FedEx guy. Or the person who comes into your office bringing those jugs of water. You know, this flowers, water guy. I don't know, one of those guys. Someone you could choose to just trigger a prayer. For me, it was a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for giving me life. Perhaps it's an activity. I remember a year ago, we hosted uh, Jessica Hughes to help us train children's workers. She was awesome. She just helped us so much. Um, we, were, we were struggling and uh, figuring out what to do in our kids' ministry. We had more kids and during our nursery ministry training in particular, I remember her saying, talking about the importance of prayer on all occasions. And she said, you know, you know even a changing a child's diaper is a wonderful trigger to pray for that child. 
And, and it's true, right? It's like, it's like taking fragrance from below and transforming into fragrance unto God. What's, what's, it, what's that for you? An otherwise mundane activity you can transform into a trigger to pray for a lost coworker, someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, to intercede for your spouse, uh, or just to express love for your Heavenly Father. What is that for you? Maybe if you're a teacher, it might be the sound of a school bell. You know, for a, for a stay-at-home mom, it might be the first sound of your child waking up in the morning. At first, Mom, can I watch some cartoons? Instead of saying, you could say, thank you, Lord. It might be also a mumble. But, you know, God hears those mumbles. You know, or, or maybe for an account, it's the sound of your PC opening and, you know, the Windows sound going off. You know, that doom, 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 doom. Or if you have a Mac, that sound as if accountants have Macs. <laughs> All right, so let me give you just two more. Internet passwords. A great trigger for prayer. All right, I would actually uh, try to make otherwise mundane passwords. You know what the drill is. You're always saying, what should I use for a password? It's often like a grandfather's middle name or like the family cat. Something like that. Instead, make them expressions of love for your father. For instance, for a while, one of mine was, love you, Jesus. That was my, that was my internet password, love you, Jesus. Of course, the J in Jesus was lowercase, but I think Jesus was okay with web password restrictions. I think he was okay with that. But, so I, sometimes I would, I would just type that in, love you, Jesus, and occasionally it would actually string out for me to actually ponder like what I love about Jesus. Sometimes I'd just type it in and move on. But sometimes it would trigger more prayer in my life. So I want to encourage you with that. By the way, don't go on PayPal later. Type in my email and love you, Jesus, because I changed it so, for this sermon. <laughs> Not that you would do that. All right. Um, and finally, last recommendation. Yes, there's an app for that. Uh, My Prayer Pal app. The My Prayer Pal app. You can record prayers, set alarms to remind you to pray for specific things, and then mark them when answered. Triggers for prayer. Whatever you can use to get prayer jump started during your day. Look, in every other arena of life, it's these awkward deliberate first steps that we remember so fondly. Think about it. Every other area of your life. In children, we record it. We Facebook, we Instagram those first steps in these babies until they drive our single friends to nausea, you know, as we post them continually on our Facebook profile. Like, here we go again. Not going to let her child. I get it now. She's jumping over sofas, Right? But we love it. It's these first moments we love as parents. As the business you, you started, right? You didn't have much, but you scraped and you clawed by through unconventional means. And those are moments you remember fondly, those first steps. First years of marriage, in which you had no clue what you were doing, but at long last, you got to do it together. You know? For many of you, those of you who choose to listen these tips this morning, and and put them into practice, this will constitute the first awkward, deliberate steps to unceasing communion with God in a transformed life. It won't feel immediately natural. Perhaps it'll feel inauthentic. But I guarantee you'll look back at these moments as the sweetest of times when you started to talk to your Creator. There's going to come a day, 
a week, a month, when those first steps, I guarantee you, will turn into a leap of joy because walking with him begins to be supernaturally natural. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I am very weak in prayer. I don't pray. I don't labor in prayer. I don't always remember. I can go hours just even, go hours sometimes before just talking with you, communing with you. And sometimes it'll hit me on my way home from a meeting or just the end of the night. Man, Lord, I didn't talk to you for pretty much most of today. Father, I pray you forgive us for that. You're our creator. We make appointments with everyone else. We make time for other important things, but we don't make time for you. So first I ask for your forgiveness, Lord, and I just pray for anyone here, Lord, who also falls short. We go to the cross, and we know through Jesus you forgive us. Give us a fresh start. And Father, help us be realistic about prayer. Help us make a time and a place and guard it jealously. Help us not think it's just going to happen out of thin air. We've got to wait for another prayer vigil before we really get praying again. Help us be real about it. Help us just develop a little arrow prayer, Lord, that we pray throughout our day to get us going. Father, help us use little triggers during a mundane, normal day that help remind us to say a prayer for a friend, for a spouse, for a family member, for someone in our community group, or just as a praise to you for loving us so much. Father, because we've been to the highest of heights. Last Saturday night, Sunday morning, oh my gosh, it was just the the mountaintop of prayer. We want to keep that going. So help us, Lord. Also be practical in our real weeks and the daily grinded out days when people surround us. Help us keep on communing with you because you love us and you want to answer our prayers. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.